Hello, welcome to the Nourishing Liberty podcast. I'm your host, Liz Reitzig. It has been a really busy week, a good one, but super busy, making progress in some policy issues that have been a high priority. Today, we are actually diving into a new topic, water. Now, last week, I talked about having a special guest on to cover this topic with me. We had a few minor discussions on the topics we would cover, and I realized I needed to get better acquainted with the basics before having him on. So we'll schedule that soon, but today I'm going to be giving an overview of this rather complicated topic. Where does water fit into our complex food system? On the East Coast, where I'm from, we don't really hear people talking about water much, but I know on the West Coast, that's a completely different story. Now, I started looking into water because I wanted to cover how our farms get and use water. And whoa, this gets deep. So today I'm going to touch on just a few pieces of this multifaceted topic. And then we'll get into more of the complexities over the next few weeks. But before I get started, I actually have a short story about a time many years ago that taught me to look at water a little bit differently. So I live pretty close to DC and I was at the Museum of Natural History in DC. And they had this great exhibit about rivers. And it was one of those interactive exhibits where you get to touch things and use multiple senses to learn about it. And I don't know about you all, but I definitely learn better when more senses are involved. And what I learned on that trip really struck me. It was a model of a city river versus a rural river. And the whole exhibit was about why city rivers flood and they reach capacity quickly, like within 24 hours after a rainfall. But with the rural rivers, it takes about three days for them to reach their full capacity. I was fascinated. Years later, when I took my permaculture course, of course, water came up again. And now I can't stop thinking about it and the relationship between water, our farms, and our food. So here we go, covering some of the basics. Water is all around us. We all know this. It is the most important thing for living beings next to oxygen. What about the importance of water on farms? To put things quickly into perspective, let's look at how long farm animals and crops can generally survive without water. It is my understanding, and now look, I am not a water consumption expert, that chickens and pigs typically don't survive much longer than 48 hours without water. And most cattle can only survive a few days. As for crops, like us, they have varying water needs. And crops like rice, soybeans, wheat, 
sugarcane. These are water intensive crops. This means they need a lot of water. But where does water come from? Now I'm talking about for the farms. Most farmers typically get their water from surface sources. And these include the natural rivers and streams. I think we all know what these are, natural waterways that move through geological formations. And then there's impounded water. This means that these are man-made in order to keep or store water in a specific area. And that includes ponds, reservoirs, and lakes. And I think we're all pretty familiar with the idea of a farm pond and how helpful that can be. Then there's also man-made irrigation ditches, and those carry smaller amounts of water. Open canals transport large amounts of water. In many cases, aqueducts are a source of water. These aqueducts are man-made structures used to move water in a stream-like fashion over many miles, including across ravines, hollows, and valleys. If farms do not have access to these surface waters, there are other ways for them to get water for irrigation. Lucky farmers will have a healthy artesian well. An artesian well is like nature's straw into cold, pristine water. And what most people are not aware of is the increasing exploration and use of confined aquifers. And these are underground rivers and streams. And of course, there's rainwater. That's something I think we all think of right away. In addition to recharging the sources of groundwater, rainwater can be captured and stored in rain barrels that typically store between 50 and 200 gallons. Rain barrels can easily be connected together to increase water storage capacity. And you know, that's for smaller usage. And for big rainwater capture, there are cisterns. These are much larger and can be located above or below ground. And these can store thousands of gallons of water. So now I think we've covered pretty much where the farmers and ranchers get water to grow our food. Sounds pretty simple, right? But maybe not so much. It begs the question, why, since the beginning of agriculture, have so many humans been fighting over such an abundant natural resource? Who owns the water? You might ask, how can anyone own water? It's everywhere. When talking about water, I think the most important thing to focus on here is water rights or who controls the water. And this is where it starts to get pretty complicated. If you are a farmer who owns or leases property, then you own or should have access to the water. That makes sense, right? But let's ponder this. As a property owner, when water reaches his or her property line, they own that water, right? When water falls or flows onto your property, you have the authority to use it as you see fit, or at least to a reasonable degree, right? But maybe it's not so simple. Did you know that Southern California gets a vast amount of water unnaturally 
from the farthest reaches of Northern California and Southern Oregon. Yes, from Southern Oregon. And it appears to be predominantly at the expense of small farmers and ranchers and against their will. This water travels upwards of 500 miles via aqueducts and canals to reach its destination in Southern California. Now, why would large corporations, NGOs, and irresponsible city, county, state, and federal governments divert water from small farms and ranches to sprawling concrete jungles several hundreds of miles away? Do they not know that this is destroying family farms and ranches? That this has the capacity to damage our vulnerable ecosystems irreparably? Do the architects of these schemes not realize that destroying food security and local food availability will have and has had disastrous results? See, we all know that water is essential to our small farmers, ranchers, and the communities surrounding them. Ultimately, this is about our right to food access. Can major water wars happen again here in America? And if they do, are we prepared to tackle the complex political and policy issues that we will need to in order to ensure our right to water on our own properties? Because without water rights, we do not have food security. Imagine for a second, if farmers have to pay enormous bills just to use the water that flows through their property. Imagine if farms are not allowed to graze their cows in their own pastures because the cows might get too close to a stream. Or what will happen when aquifers dry up and wells are no longer abundant? And here's where we come in. We need to build awareness. We need to learn something, all of us, about water in our own region. We've got to support our farms and our communities in maintaining water rights. That might look a little different in different parts of our country. That's okay. Farming looks a little different in different bioregions. That's our responsibility. So there we go. This is the 101 of water on our farms and what we've got to do. We're going to be getting a little more into this, a deeper dive. But until then, you know what to do. Eat for health, know your neighbor, and grow some food. Until next time.